0: Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing.
1: I'm Matt Enlow, And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are going to be talking to Tim Nakashi, a guest we had on episode four or five. He's a music video director that's worked with OK Go, Jason Derulo, a bunch of pop stars, Maroon 5. He's also been directing a lot of commercials lately. And we're going to talk to him about how he gets the job. Like, what does he tell people to hire him? And that usually comes down to treatments. So we'll talk about treatments for music videos, for commercials. I'm working on a treatment for a movie. Matt has helped me out with some treatments. He's listened to a lot of treatments. So today the episode is really all about how we sell ourselves to get work through writing.
0: It's another great one. But first, Oren, what have you been working on lately?
1: Well, I've been working on a lot of the same, but I did not want to tell you a funny story. Which is the other day on Saturday, I went to buy some propane for my grill, my portable grill. I needed like one of those little propane tanks, and I went to Vons, a supermarket here, and they did not have it. So then I was like, ah, I'll schlep over to Home Depot, which was a lot farther. And on the way there, I realized I was out of gas. So I stopped at AM at Arco, you know, a gas station that has like an AMPM store. So I was filling up my gas, and I was like, oh, you know what? I bet AMPM might have propane. I don't know; they have a little sure. store there. So I go inside, ask the woman, do you guys have any propane tanks? She's like, yeah. I said, do you have the small ones? She's like, yeah, but I have to wait for my coworker. Ten minutes, he'll come back. He'll take you there. Whatever. I wait for the guy. He takes me there, and they end up not having the big propane tanks. So I'm like, whatever. I'm just going to go to Home Depot. I get in my car, and I start driving, and guess what I did not do? I don't know. What is the worst thing to not do before you start driving at a gas station? Take the pump out of your car? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Oh, no. I drove off with the gas hose. And did it tear off or what happened? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Did you keep going and did you like... (laughs) No, no. It was pretty loud uh, when it happened. So I got... uh, Some woman like yelled at me and I was like, what's that woman yelling at me for? And then I realized a millisecond later. So I got out, went outside, I saw the hose connected to my car and not the gas pump. So I picked it up and I brought it into the gas station. And... Uh, to make a really long story short, the guy was like, well, there's a couple ways we can deal with this. And I was like, deal with what? And he's like, well, with the fact that you just tore the hose off of our <laughs> gas pump. And I was like, okay, what are they? And he said, well, you can either have your insurance pay for it, we can go through your insurance, or you can just pay us cash. It's like, okay, how much cash? And he's like, hold on, let me call someone. He calls this guy, Ali. Ali like, gets on the phone with me. He's like, "Uh, it's going to be $80. I was like, hmm. In my mind, of course, I was thinking, not that much but i was like 80 dollars okay and i just give you cash and he's like yeah and i was like and will you give me a receipt he's like no i mean i'm just going to give 80 dollars to the guy that fixes it so no it's just like a cash thing and then i was like is this do you mind if i google this real quick and see what i should be doing and the guy's like no go for it so i googled it half the people that i found online said that they just drove off and nothing <laughs> ever happened the other half said you know that they paid like 600 dollars or 300 dollars it was like all over the place mm-hmm. And I asked the guy, I was like, well, a lot of people say they just drove off. What if I would have just driven off? And he's like, we got cameras here. It's happened many times here before. We reported it as a hit and run and your insurance mm-hmm. would pay for it. So anyway, I don't know if I got scammed or not, but right when I gave him the cash, which he didn't even let me use like a credit card or anything. I had to go to an ATM to give him cash. But um, I was like, just so you know, this whole thing feels really sketchy to me to just give you cash for this. Um with like no receipt or anything, but I'm gonna give it to you because you're being very nice to me and I'm trusting that you're a good person that is well intentioned and doing the right thing. And if I'm getting scammed here, then it's on you. Okay? I was the good person that sure. brought this gas hose in. <laughs> And he was like, Okay, brother. And I was like, Okay. And then I left. So Yeah, eighty dollars sounds like a steal to me. <laughs> right? I was I mean I- their gas pump is out of commission. I thought like maybe he just like reconnects it like right after i leave but i drove no, past there no like an way. hour later yeah. and it was not reconnected yeah
0: i don't think that they just let joe blow like snap the hose back on when it's pumping gasoline around a. it bunch did of finish pumping but vehicles.
1: yeah you know, you know what i mean you know yeah. it's
0: pretty flammable and stuff
1: anyway if you're listening to this and this happens to you in the future just now you're armed with one story of a potential outcome, which is not that bad. Yeah. So that's my week yeah. so far. <laughs> well, I, I had a funny little experience on a job I was
0: doing just recently uh, that I thought would be worthwhile to bring up. So, you know, whenever you're getting notes and there's like a couple different uh, people who are all responsible and responding, you're kind of waiting for somebody. Sometimes there's a producer basically who will collate all of the different thoughts from all of the different parties and then kind of distill that down into one thing. And that's kind of the the checklist that you have to go off of when you're trying to enact on people's notes. And that's a super helpful thing. It's you know it's great because you don't want to have to be dealing with 16 different emails from everybody. And you don't know who to listen to and what if they contradict, blah, blah, blah. So I got one of these emails just recently. And uh, I realized that they had forwarded me the email instead of creating a new thread. Has this ever happened to you, Oren?
1: They forwarded you a notes email. A
0: notes email. And so inevitably... So you, you saw the entire discussion. I see discussion. The, enti- the entire discussion. And, um, you know, I think typically you're worried, like, oh, boy, they're going to be like "Madam was a director. I wish we could fire or something like that. That's the worst case scenario that you're imagining. And the opposite was totally true. Not that they were complimenting me, but um, all of the notes were really thoughtful and smart and articulate and really great and actually... I kind of found myself wishing that I had the whole backstory of all of the other notes that I'd received because it really helped inform this next round of revisions. And that was the happiest that they'd been. It was like, and I think the moral of the story is that sometimes in an effort to distill things down or to keep things concise, people want to just tell you, you know, cut this thing out or, or we don't like this or we like that. And if you don't have the, a context of what people mean by that is sometimes you end up undoing work that people really like or you just you can't problem solve the way you'd like to right so you know they say remove this thing but you don't know why they want it removed and so you just kind of have to do that wholesale rather than making an informed decision about what they're ultimately going for right you're talking about in the edit specifically in the edit specifically but i think it's kind of true for almost everything you know if you're ever receiving notes and you don't have the context for why people are asking for what they're asking for uh that can lead to trouble
1: yeah i mean notes you know we've we've talked about them so many times and it's i just think there's no right way to do or better way to do them there's just hoping that people trust you mm-hmm. and that they're well-intentioned you know I, yeah i, I mean they are-
0: they're always well-intentioned right
1: yeah i guess they're always well-intentioned not that they're well-intentioned that they want to make a good product more than they want to finish this job Mm. (laughs) um you know which are the two things that kind of come to come at odds and a lot of times i just kind of want to finish the job (laughs) myself um so i'll just cut that thing without worrying about it because i'm over it yeah um yeah well notes man it's like I get upset when I get them, and I get upset when I don't get them. (laughs) I guess I'm just an upset person. Cool.
0: Well, I think uh, Tim has some interesting notes on
1: treatments. Okay. Here's Tim. So, we are sitting here with Tim Nakashi again, who's a guest we've had on before. If you remember, he is a director. He started out by editing. He... Met someone uh, from OK Go. He worked on some of their videos behind the scenes editing. And they then, pulled me off the street. Yep. And then uh, you saw one of them at a Pinkberry, I believe. That was a key, uh, key move. And then that, that dates you too, right? <laughs> yeah. Who goes to Pinkberry? It's Pink right? kind of true. <laughs> and then uh, he said, Hey, you should pitch us something. You pitched him something like a week later and then shot a music video, directed a music video for OK Go yep. a week after that. And got the- signed by a. An- <laughs> rsa i mean kind of almost not
0: literally a week but it was pretty crazy
2: yeah yeah like, it was it was a week later
0: and then was it literally a week later yeah well, I remember he was like pinkberry
2: and then it was pitch sure and then yeah we were like testing it at the end of that week okay maybe it was two weeks because then there was a week in between yeah and then, and then
1: yeah then you got signed and your first pitch was for a maroon 5 music video which you got yeah, that has all been downhill. Since it's been
2: down. <laughs> I mean, I'm never going to top it. So <laughs> thanks for having me. It was great talking to you. And uh, um, cool. And well, now every we...
0: time I hear that story, I can't believe it. Which That's... part? Just how quick it all happened. Like yeah. it, it's so fast and so incredible. It's like a, it's a fairy tale that, like, it's almost bad to hear because then you think you realize that it's possible.
1: But can I tell you that it's kind of a fairy tale, but also kind of like. It, it, to me, it's also a story of like how easy it can be because 99 out of 100 people would say like, oh, I can't get a pitch done this week, you know?
2: Yes, but I, I kind of agree with Matt, though, because it's like, you know, I literally met, ran into him at a Pinkberry and it like kind of changed the course of my career.
0: You were prepared, though. You were ready. No, I but did. he did. like <laughs> you know, after I did he- sort
2: of have an idea in my head. And it's true, I didn't know how I was going to do the effect. So I pitched it and then had to figure it out. So, sure, I thought a lot and stressed a lot about it. But doesn't it fill you with dismay to think like I could have not been at that pink berry and like not? See, I almost. believe
1: you would have just fallen in, in with someone else, you know? Okay. Like you would have met because I don't know, right? I guess I have the opposite thing going on right now, which is I'm.
2: Oh, optimism
1: yes Cool. <laughs> um, which is I'm trying to I've, I have this idea for a movie I've had it for a long time I've developed it I've written like a, all these notes about it and I mentioned it to my manager and he's like oh cool write it up send it to me I'll, let me see if I can get something going with it and I like practically <laughs> like had a heart attack oh my god and this was like three weeks ago and I'm still like the last two days have just been trying to write something that's really good wait I'm sorry I,
2: so I, w- I want to hear though what so you're having a heart attack about what
1: about having to deliver an idea to someone right Whereas because you
2: you pitched an idea and you said it was incredible and they're gonna be so excited and but you hadn't really kind of thought it all through
1: yeah it's like i mean i don't know i think it's like every movie idea like i have a really a premise and characters i'm really excited about i have no idea what happens in act two
0: totally i, I think maybe what tim is getting at is that that's your pinkberry moment yes and you'll figure
2: it out Exactly. Well, that's what you're saying, too. I mean, oh, I you know, guess we're saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I'm saying yeah. Tim figured it out like that week and I'm like dragging my feet. <laughs> and so that what, it what was a music is,
2: video. This You got a whole feature, to write. Yeah. Yeah. You're I mean, it, it's
1: <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Good but, luck. <laughs> um, I also what had are you this doing thing to this podcast, man. You're wasting time. Has this, yeah. I'm sure this has happened to our listeners. But have you ever like today when I was working on my treatment for this mm. movie, I was like trying to find cool visuals and I was like looking around YouTube and stuff. And I pretty much found this short film that was released March 22nd, which is like two weeks ago. Oh my God. That's like almost exactly like the short film I would shoot to try to pitch my movie. Wow. It's like mine's about these brothers with these super powers, you know, that are like, it's genetically inherited through, it's like over the generations, a a very small number of people have this genetic, you know, deviation that gives them these these powers, right? Um, And in this short film, it's like, 4% of the world has special mutations. Oh, God. Sure, Um, but that's true for all superpowers, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then they showed every single... I mean, look, I know that everyone has... There's only, like, so many powers, but, like, my three characters, one of them has, like, this very low-grade telekinesis. Like, he can lift... Like up to five pounds within like five feet from him,' Oh, cool! I like cruddy. Uh, yeah, I like so, low grade. Yeah. Well, these <laughs> well over the generation. It's yeah. a recessive gene, and if you like intermarry and stuff, things get watered down. So, and then one of them has like you know like a fire heat type power, but you know he, he's not in control of it at all. Like if he's, it just is exactly matched to his mood, hmm. and he's like a very angry guy. For my story, as a, a character thing, it's important that he's not really able to be in contact with a lot of people because if he's has he can burn them right he Got feels it. the burn okay mm-hmm. uh, oh is, so he's physically hot it's not it's, yeah he, he's almost he's like not throwing, throwing fireballs yeah yeah he's getting hot oh mm. i see anyway cool. and the third brother he can like glamour people I can true like, he can charm people mm. um just with his, his voice has like pheromone qualities to it mm. but uh it works better on old ladies than anyone else anyway so i saw this trail this video today it was a kickstarter it was this 10 minute yeah. video about these guys that have like telekinesis <laughs> firepower and strength and they live in like la and they're and working it was as called the fantastic four mm. no it was like done like kind of like a grounded version in la like kind yeah, of yeah. gritty i'm teasing you though
0: because the point is is that like, is that every every okay. super it, that, yeah that, that, that's the trope. That's, that's the form but
2: you know, i like, uh, i hear you because i had that experience i i made a narrative short that i haven't released yet i'm still getting some visual effects done and it's about two people it's whose about dreams. A kid so. in the jungle yeah exactly <laughs> it's about uh, it's about two people whose dreams are intersecting and they they don't know each other and there's like some mystery to it and but yeah i saw a trailer for something that looked kind of like a whack version of mine but but so many of the points were the same that i definitely you know was sweating by the end of the trailer but but you know their trail their film's already done and Mine hasn't come out yet, so hopefully everyone will have forgotten about right. it before yeah. it comes out.
1: Well, do you think it would be weird? Because I actually downloaded that short film I saw today to pull some frames from it for nice. my treatment. <laughs> is that is totally that too not much? weird? <laughs> really? Because it's like the exact same. I don't know. It's not like competing.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a okay. You know, it's funny. Somebody asked me about this just the other day, like because you know I'm in development mode. I'm pitching around. I'm taking all these meetings. Mm. And he was like, oh, like, are you ever worried about uh, similarities between a premise or a concept that you're pitching and, and stuff that that's out there in the world? Because actually, we were talking to a friend, uh, this producer friend of mine, who was telling me this great pitch for a movie. And, and literally, it was the exact same pitch as another friend of mine. Oh, my I, God. Like, to the point where I was like, wait, wait, wait. Is this this person's? And so. I don't sweat it at all because, you know, fortunately, like I can bring it up to, you know, enough people that like, if it is identical to something, someone's going to tell me, but like, honestly, for the most part, it's all about what you do with a concept. And so when you bring it to market and like you're pitching it around, you're the part of the equation that no one else has.
1: I always wanted to make this like, like short term time travel movie. Like I like like, Take a sci fi concept and make it as crappy as possible. So, like, that's cool. what if you had time travel like back like five minutes, right? And then that movie Primer came out. I'm like, ah, I guess it's, I, guess I was going to say, like, Primer. And then was in like, Science of Sleep. Then I was like, yeah. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And then, like, this movie Time Crimes came out. My friend's like, you should check it out. I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of the same.
0: Wait, the, is it the Spanish one from uh, Mexico?
1: French? Is it Spanish? It's, a, yeah. it's the guy with the,
0: yeah, yeah, the bandage on his Oh, boy. You guys, that movie is incredible. Have you oh, seen the movie? Yeah,
1: it was on Netflix. It's, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. Oh, cool. Time crimes. Yeah, yeah I totally... this guy that I just keeps going heart back heart. in time, but just not, not that long, just like very short
0: it, It's kind of like a weird farce, and I remember I had oh. a friend come over while I was watching it, and she was like, Are you okay? And I was like, No, I saw this incredible movie and I'm freaking out about wow. it. And you're the only person I could talk to about it because you're awesome. the person who just came over. Yeah, it's incredible. Okay, that movie is cool. It is good.
1: But anyway, yeah. then like Looper came out. Then all these. Then I'm like, Every time, time I decide travel. to not make a movie, someone makes that movie. So I should just, you know, you gotta stop. You got to just make your movie because yeah.
2: it's going to come out a year later and, and someone might. You know, one out of 100 people are going to say, oh, yeah, I also liked Looper and Time Crimes, but I yeah. still enjoyed this. Ye- I yeah, yeah.
0: Most people think of that as a sales point. Like, true. Like, oh, it's similar to Looper? That movie made a ton of money. Great.
1: Let's do it. But don't mm-hmm. you try to, like, today I, I was, like, kind of trying to figure out the third act, and it ended up, what I wrote, I realized later was, like, very similar to Chronicle. Mm. You know that movie? And I'm like, hmm. You mean there was an awesome battle at the end? Well, and chronicle Again, I'm just giving you a hard time i'm sorry no oh, right chronicles like about three friends that have superpowers and then one of them goes nuts basically in the middle of the movie huh. and the end is like a battle between the friends and i like i really wanted my three brother story like i think you would expect them to kind of all band together and fight some bad guy at the end but i'd rather have them fight each other and
2: yeah, have that's have cool. Some, have someone die. That sounds totally different because it's brothers. So
1: it's going to have yeah. brotherly themes. Does Two of man. them are cousins in Chronicle. Does that I, matter? No. I, no, it doesn't matter at all. And cousins. All,
0: also, like, I think that... I'd fight any of my cousins <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And win. <laughs> no, I, I think that you're very self-conscious about it because you know exactly what cultural references you're pulling and and where it's all coming from. But that's true for all art. You know, and I think that the things that feel so obvious and apparent because they really affected you, that's not apparent to an audience because they've got their own set of circumstances. And so, like, yeah, sure, you're cribbing or you're influenced by or whatever. Like, as long as you ground it in true, um, like, in emotional truth... Uh, that's that's all that's going to matter. It's going to be refiltered through everything else that you've But I saw a movie
2: with emotional truth right. in it like this week. I just think you need to yeah, uh, stay it,
0: away from it, emotional, it, truth. emotional truth. Is it, yeah. it, 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 everything's
1: so grounded it's and like, authentic. Yeah. I'm kind of hijacking this episode to basically is ask you guys questions to help me because I'm going to give someone sure. this treatment tomorrow. But, oh, really? Yeah, tomorrow? And Yes, tomorrow. I promised him the end of the week last week, and then he said on friday do you have it and i said i absolutely guarantee you'll have it by next friday oh i apologize
0: God. here's a quick tangent though i would never send an important document on a friday mm. i would send it on a monday because he's mm-hmm. not he's like he's out to lunch
1: it's four pages mostly visuals. Mm. and he emailed me today and he said am i still gonna get it tomorrow oh and i said yes well, well, good he on him though that, that's yeah. pretty good and he was yeah. like tell me when and where and i was like i don't know where you will be when you read the email that i send you but <laughs> Uh, sometime tomorrow
2: <laughs> what did he mean by when and where are you meeting are you i guess person? i
1: wrote do you want to meet or can i just email it to you he's like whatever you want i don't know this is my manager he's like excited to... oh you should meet
0: yeah always I better should, to meet. Should meet yeah yeah there you go and then like you get some face time he can ask follow-up questions you've thought it through yeah. and you know you're gonna feel the vibes of his questions and like you'll know whether he's leading you or skeptical of something true and, you know he doesn't really know. It's not like he makes movies. He just reps you, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a good. He's good an ally, sounding board know? for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And he's, uh, you know, he's an anonymous content. and They have this new push to try to develop stuff because they, you know, Mister Robot and uh, The Revenant are their movies and. I think, oh i
0: didn't realize they made those movies
1: yeah they're in the production company but those are kind of like they senior guys now i think the rest of the company is like whoa we got to start yeah <laughs>
0: like, yo this is where the money's like, at we
1: are yeah, at, at right. this time where we actually have an opportunity where people will listen to our ideas and stuff and they're looking for content so i think they're kind of not starving for it, but they're doing you know they're talking to andrew and all these other people where they're like give us ideas let's shoot pilots Let's present presentations let's amazing let's do stuff so i think it's a good time and i'm hopefully i can follow in tim's shoes and capitalize on on this opportunity um but anyway just to ground this conversation for our listeners for a second i apologize because script notes did a very similar episode a couple weeks ago but i think as directors we approach treatments a little differently than a writer would Hmm. so Mm -hmm. you get obviously tim you've told us you've written over 500 treatments
2: did I claim that number? I definitely. It's been a few hundred for sure.
1: Um, yeah, I think you claim that you were a writer because you had written so many treatments. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, and then you know, Matt. Obviously, we've been talking about treatments a lot lately. So I guess for me, I would use a treatment to either pitch myself to direct a commercial, to direct a music video, or if I have my own idea for a project, mm-hmm. and I I would want to tell people like, hey, this is the movie that I want to make, or this is the TV show, oh, the TV show I'm pitching. We also have a treatment which is my treatment has some graphics and some text explaining who the characters are what the premise is what the episodes look like or the themes are mm-hmm. am i covering everything or is there any yeah. s- other reason you would use a treatment I, you know
0: everything I think, I, yeah I, I think it's your first blueprint it's um it's your way of reminding people of what you pitched in the room and i think uh i think that they actually do talk about uh on script notes but i want to wholeheartedly reinforce it is the tool that a person who has taken a pitch is going to use to refresh themselves and also just to forward around to the rest of the company yeah you Mm -hmm. so you've
1: been pitched to a lot did you get a lot of treatments
0: i yeah i I got not only was i pitched to a lot but i taught pitching to interns a bunch which was Hmm. the best in terms of like really synthesizing what was important to me as an audience member and like how to really heighten um, that experience for everyone. Mm. I think that the, the core principle that i tried to teach people and the thing that I try to remember whenever I'm writing one of these documents is that it's still storytelling. You know, every time someone's reading this document, they're probably reading it for the first time and they're getting... Exposed to the world and the story and the characters, just like an audience would be. So, I think doling things out in like a, a proper like three-act structure, even though it's not really designed that way, is part of it. So, I always talk about like, you know, giving yourself a log line and tone up top just so people get oriented in the and world. What do you mean when, by tone? Uh, when, so, when I say tone, I mean like um, understanding. The way the short or film or web series or whatever it is you're pitching, what that what that feels like, right? So
1: like com- like a comparison.
0: Yeah, sometimes I'll do a logline. Like that's a that's a quick and dirty way to do it. And, and I would say when I was teaching people to pitch, you know, you would get things like, you know, you would always hear like, oh, it's this meets that, and I think that's great. But I think it's even better if you say the comedic sensibility of this with the visual style of that, like clarifying a little bit. You know, So you would hear like The Office was brought up all the time when we were taking pitches or I'm sure uh, It's Always Sunny or like probably Broad City now or South Park or whatever it was. But like the difference between the comedic sensibility of It's Always Sunny or the the nihilistic characters of It's Always Sunny versus the camera work of It's Always Sunny. Like those are all very distinct different parts Mm -hmm. of a, a show, right? So I would kind of set that up up top. I would say, okay, it's got this sort of comedic styling, this sort of voice, this sort of feel, right? Just so that you know, as a reader, how how am I reading these characters? What does this world feel like to me? How am I framing it? You know what I mean? Is it Airplane or is it Die Hard 2? You know, those are both airport airplane movies, right? So once you get that, right, that's kind of your act one, Give, her, give yourself some sort of inciting incident, right? So that's your premise, and that should really kind of inherently have the insight. So the
1: logline is different sure. than a premise. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, yeah. So the logline is is kind of like the the very concise setup of what what your idea is, right? And then your premise, you can go ahead and outline things a little bit more thoroughly. So, um, so I guess I'm trying to think of a thing that I can use that I die hard. Sure. Okay. So (laughs) die hard. Yeah. So die hard in, in this way of, of pitching it, I would say that die hard is for my log line, you know, an action adventure that takes place in in a hostage situation in a building. That's the crappy version. right? Right. And then my premise, I would go ahead and spell that out. So, John McClane's a down-on-his-luck cop who's visiting his wife from L.A. He's a New York cop visiting his wife in L.A. They're all at his wife's workplace together and terrorists take over. That's your inciting incident, right? So then, after that, then you can go into McLean and his wife and Hans Gruber and all those people, characters. all your characters. But as you're doing that, you're also doling out pieces of plot. So when you're talking about McLean, You know, maybe like you're talking about how they're relating to each other. And then also maybe at the end, like, oh, he loses his shoes or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like so. So as the reader, you're hooked. You're interested
1: in the story as the treatment is unfolding. Okay, Mm -hmm. And then now if you're pitching your own movie show web series, would you ever refer to actors or use pictures of actors when you're
2: existing?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know um, the Tom Lennon Ben Grant book. They they use mm-hmm.
0: the word think, like so. Right. Maybe you don't you, you don't get Bruce Willis for your pitch, but you can say think Bruce Willis, and then immediately people
1: imagine John McClane. Okay, and then after that premise or or type, you could say a a Bruce Willis type. <laughs> okay, after that premise, you go into your characters,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: after your characters, you go into the story. Yeah, I mean, I think you can,
0: it kind of gets a little trickier there. I think you, uh, typically I'm pitching more serialized things, so I'll go into your episode episode. ideas, pilot episode, or season arc, depending on how it's kind of feeling and what story beats I've managed to weave into the character descriptions. Um, And they're not huge story beats, but like inevitably... When you're saying how these characters relate to each other and the things that they want and the things that are keeping them from getting what they want, right, which are all kind of the elements of story, inevitably
1: that just kind of
0: all connects the dots for a reader. Mm -hmm.
1: And so when you guys are writing treatments, like how much of like your own voice are you trying to put in the writing? Like how much is it like, are you trying to be clear where you're like, it's a family action adventure story versus... It's a fucking yeah mess mm-hmm. of a
2: ride across the country, you know. <laughs> I actually go heavy on the voice in my yeah. writing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, because I, my experience has been in writing, which I've done a lot of music video treatment. So frankly, it's a slightly different animal. But where I try to pitch, dole out the story or whatever transpires over, sort of painting the the picture and the strokes as if they are watching it, sort of you know second by second, scene by scene but as if they're in the room with me and Mm -hmm. I'm pitching it to them and casually and kind of trying to add a little bit of, and we're getting to know each other too. I I frankly, I think it works. I think it helps people feel like they know who's behind this and Mm -hmm. what the voice is. And the only difference is in music video land, you're, you're, you're selling it a bit more heavily. I feel you're, you're kind of telling people something is cool while you're telling them what it is, which Feels lame, but it's what you right. do. But I
1: think it. I think what's nice about pitching music videos is you're allowed to say like, "Yeah, this is going to be freaking cool, freaking awesome, freaking mm-hmm. cool." And then in film, you are trying to find other words to say that. You know, like, well, yeah, that's like true. You're, I think. We're always selling cool, uh, cool things or emotional connections, or we're always trying to say this is going to be really good. Yeah. But with music videos, I feel like you're allowed to just say like, "This is going to like blow your mind." Yes <laughs> and
2: no, because there's there's the problem of sounding like a salesman. And then there's also the challenge, because you, you, you want to, a filmmaker is somebody who has restraint, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something you get too. It's it's not all, did I pull all the levers from frame one? It's, you know, there's something else, right? And so there is there is kind of an art some somewhere in there to, as to how to like make yourself sound principled and at the same time say,
1: but it's going to be fucking awesome. Sure. Yeah. Right. And you're trying to not sound like everyone else too.
2: And you're trying not to sound like anyone else. Yeah.
1: I, I think that some of it also comes
0: down to, I think, voice in a document, I think is really valuable for, as a sales tool or just as a even just as a blueprint for yourself, because we're all playing a different role every time you're writing one of those. Whether you're real cool music video guy or real sexy music video guy or real artsy music video guy. Those are all different versions of Tim Nakashi and we've seen those on your real, right? <laughs> yep, you know what sexy, I mean? Awesome, sexy, yep. cool, awesome. I've seen it. <laughs> they you know, powerful. Um, but but there's a difference between saying something is going to be cool Mm -hmm. and saying it in a cool way
2: oh i think that's true but i and i also think when I, i was trying to express it like you know i'll dole out the what transpires as if i'm pitching it in the room there's a little bit of like just lowering the stakes a little bit and sounding like somebody who's trying to get the point across in a couple of words not overly overdoing it sort of relating a little bit like those these are other parts of the art i think of a treatment mm-hmm. it's not all kind of like you're speaking to the headmaster at the school or the you know the principal it's you know i i think there's you kind of have to present like a bit of confidence and like a little bit of, I feel even like casualness in there mm-hmm. again, because it kind of lowers the stakes and sort of reminds them, Oh, there's just a person and they're telling me this amazing story. You know, it's wow. What a right. combination of experiences here. You know, can
1: you think off the top of your head of like an example of like something you would say that comes off casual in writing and like in a treatment? Like, do you say stuff like, you, you know, we, we all dream of, of like jumping five. off a building and being able to yeah. fly. Like how cool would it be? Mm -hmm. If we like bring the band to life and show them how to fly. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I
0: mean, so right. That's a great question, right? Like, like literally asking the question, right. Don't you guys
2: agree? Yeah. I think that's a good example. And, and how cool as opposed to how, how visually impacting, you know, or just, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. How cool would it be is a better way or is maybe probably in tone or in voice with the thing you're trying to sell.
2: It'd be like saying, we've all seen Die Hard, but have we seen Die Hard on Mars? Or whatever, and that's already more casual, but quicker and interesting and sounds different. I don't know.
1: I don't know, because I, I feel like I try to write like that, and then it looks like I'm trying to write like that. And then, uh, Have you ever used italics in a document like that? Oh, yeah. I yeah. bold italicize. Yeah. I use, do you guys use semicolons? No. No. No, I will oh, use a colon, no.
0: but no, cut, semicolons. Ugh. I mean, I think the the ultimate lesson though, whenever you're creating a document uh-huh. to like sell to people or to just convey what you're trying to do, don't lean on any convention too hard, right? So, so if you fill your document with semicolons and ellipses, that's gonna lose its potency. Just mm-hmm. like the same way you would casual language or bolding or italicizing. And mm-hmm. also just like think about the the thing that you're trying to make and use every tool in your toolbox to convey that tone and style and vibe.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I, my, I think I experienced what you're kind of expressing, which is there's this like, I just got to get on the page. It's going to come out awkward. This is going to sound like a scientific, this is going to sound clinical and, but I meant for it to sound fun. And then but you get it on the page, you just like crawl out of the ocean, onto the shore. You're like, oh, take this a fucking idea, please. And, but it's good to do that the day before, or if you can, at least a few hours before and then come back to it, just, you know, step away, come back to it, take a deep breath and kind of, I just sort of write this like final version of it where it's like just the everything is easy. My life is effortless pass where it just, you know, sounds easy and I feel like sort of lifts it a little bit. I, you know, I'll sort of usually go back and realize like, wow, I'm really over descri- overly mm-hmm. describing sort of how I'm going to accomplish something. And I'm making it sound like work when I was really just trying to paint a world for these people, you know? And yeah, does that make sense? I, I think yeah. also
0: people don't read and it's hard. It's really hard to understand that. Right, And it's maybe depressing in one way, but if you know that's the truth, it's maybe not so bad. Right. It's funny to me, Orin, that like you're stressing on this a little bit, because you're a person I know is very good at talking passionately mm. about an idea, and uh, and a, a, a pure visualist. So like those are the two things that I think uh, you know people lack when they're when they're in the room, right? Like if you have good visual references and you're excited about pitching something, to me that's pretty. That's most of it. So you know?
2: going off that, it makes me think, um, you know, we all kind of like in the back of our minds, we know our audience and maybe you just kind of know, what, do you know something that you're, that makes you afraid? Something no, I mean, I guess
1: be? I'm trying to, I, I very much think about what Matt just said, which is that people don't read. So I'm trying to be as succinct as and quick as possible. So instead of saying like, you know, uh, this is a story about three brothers um, that absolutely can't stand each other they're in the same room, they don't even want to look at each other or talk to each other. Is there a semicolon in there? No. But but instead of saying all that, I just said, three estranged brothers. Because I felt like that said all that in three words instead of in 20 words. And I'm trying to put as few words on the page. But I don't feel like that's how I would talk. I would never say... Three estranged brothers. I don't
2: know if three estranged brothers says everything that you said in the other one about being in yeah. the same room. And all and, that. and
0: I think there's a flow to it and there's details to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's one thing to be like, oh, three brothers who don't like each other. That's not as powerful as three brothers who don't like each other. They can't even look at each other in the eye. Yeah. They can't even be right. in the same room. They hate each other. Right. Like
1: there's a heightening to that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But then there's, but that's like just such a small part of the story that I'm like, I don't know if I should waste so much real estate in the treatment on describing these brothers because now I'm going to have a whole page of characters and talk about the characters. And so I don't know. To me, that's the hard part. Is the there's no lack of information. It's just how what to me like I think always the worst treatments and the worst pitches and the worst scripts are the ones that are trying to accomplish so much. You know, for sure. And so for me, it's like what are the three most important things? You know, Uh, just even you go back to the treatment. It's like. You know the to me it's like the premise, the characters, and the tone right mm-hmm. um, if if I could only choose three things like those would be that, and I want to nail those things
2: well, I think that's good i I think you're disciplined you're that's this is what we're hearing you know you're you're trying to be disciplined about real estate on the page and I think and I think the the art of treatment writing involves kind of triggering and signaling to the reader that you're disciplined early on mm-hmm. and then being disciplined or not by the end and just getting your point across. You know, to me, like if you wrote three estranged brothers, period, and then you wrote hate each other, period, really, period, or just like found some way of sounding like, oh my God, this person's really going to be brief with these sentences. <laughs> right, by sure. the end, you could write whatever the hell you wanted, I feel, and give yourself the leeway to just get this thing done and be happy with it. And as opposed to really sort of technically. Yeah. Making every sentence perfect with that. I don't know. Right.
0: There's a theatricality to it too, that again, so. kind of like sets up maybe the world a little bit, you know, I think there's something fun there.
1: And, and so do you, Tim, when you would write your music video treatments, did you use different voice, a different voice, depending on the type of every like time. A pop video versus a rap video versus a robotic tech driven video?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I do find that, you know, you're sent this music, you're aware of the okay. artist and you kind of get invested in them the same way you would your main character you know you're like their career's been like this it'd be nice if they showed this and i've been thinking about this idea that's like that and somehow those that the knowledge and the emotional investment kind of informs you know how you're saying it and what you're saying so you're if you're saying it's it's time for us to show a new side of usher or whatever <laughs> you know right. then yeah i do find somehow it's influenced but i I don't go too wild with that like i don't like to use the word vibe in a treatment or sure. dope uh it's very <laughs> tempting
1: you just did a treatment for jason derulo and Pentatonics, right yeah for and you got the the job i did yeah what was what kind of stuff did you stay in there like how was that treatment
2: you know okay so basically yeah in that case i was sort of engaging the jason derulo's aspect in one way as this featured artist and Pentatonics are basically YouTube sensation that um, I frankly don't like their music videos that they've already made. And so I basically said, yes, we're going to show like a darker, more mysterious side of you because I felt like all of their work is so brightly lit and so overly focused on is the person singing on screen at the moment looking directly at you and singing, you know, they're like, they're it's hyper. It's very, very youtube in that way. It's so yeah. youtube And what's the problem with it being YouTube-y? It's just really for me overly self-conscious and self-aware and just selfie and and
0: formulaic too right like a like you could use that description for like uh plenty of youtube sensations and there's nothing wrong with that but as a person who wants to do something different like you're just looking for another way to yeah. express their visual identity
2: I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it I, I that's true but I do think there's something wrong with like I do think that I, I love the idea of self-broadcasting in YouTube and stuff but there is kind of it seems a requirement of that the ego really just kind of be right on the sleeve and which makes for a lot of like hammy aesthetic so I have actually kind of thought about it a lot I was like why do I have so much of a problem with like what I see on YouTube and I do think it's incredibly hammy and it's not that cool. Yeah.
1: I have thought about, uh, you know, what makes something YouTube-y a lot also. Mm. And I, I, we might have talked about this on the podcast before, but to me it's like, you know, YouTube kind of favors people that are insanely clear and fast and giving you exactly what they want to give you. And right. so there's no real like subtext in YouTube. Right? Exactly. Um, and it's, it's like, like audience services. yeah (laughs) so yeah but I think talking about how people on YouTube even when uh, a big YouTuber make is an actor and they make a short film it's kind of about them first and about their characters second, you Mm -hmm. know? Totally. And it it is that self-awareness that you pointed out that makes so much sense. Well, so
0: I I think that part of it is that when people are watching YouTube, they're looking for a different sort of experience than if they're going to the movies, for instance, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's to the point of they're having a personal relationship with the entertainer, right? So whether they're singing or whether they're acting or whether they're vlogging, it's about my relationship with the person that i'm watching right Mm -hmm. so and that that's interesting that it sort of informs the way they approach a music video or or a short film so so but so tim when you're pitching right you're typically pitching to a specific artist whether that's a youtuber Mm -hmm. or a pop star whomever Mm -hmm. how does that inform the way in which you approach the whole project does that make sense it does make
2: sense i mean it's a good question but i mean basically I'm like, you got, okay, I'll make a distinction here, which riffing on what we're talking about, which is when it comes to YouTube and the internet in general and sort of new technologies, as in anything that's not movies and TV, it's basically about access. And I do, because I agree with you there. I think it's about connectivity. That's super exciting but it's not about transportation, transporting mm-hmm. somebody, which is what movies are about. And I think the three of us are sitting here tonight talking because we're into transporting and transportation and like, uh, it's not really about, do I feel like I have this kind and of- my ocean. best friends with Luke Skywalker. And my best friends with Luke Skywalker, it's more like, well, what did happen and where did it take us and what blew my mind? And so basically I, the point being that I, want to make movies. So I kind of try to write treatments that allow me to make stuff that make that let people know I can make movies Mm -hmm. or let me explore movies and the toys that make movies. So I sort of 60 to 70% don't really waver from that Mm -hmm. and try to make cool stuff that yeah, is in that world. And then a little bit of dialing in specifically, I mean, it's always about what's the song about, what's what haven't they done? Mm-hmm. And for me, I've been lucky enough to kind of do a lot of visual concept kind of music videos. So usually, when they're you know emailing me about stuff, it's like we want to do something different, mm-hmm. you know,
0: right. arty or they're coming to you because they know what you do and they're asking you to do more of that.
2: Yeah, they they want me to not. Um, necessarily show the band performing in the mm-hmm. straight way and so that's kind of a lucky development thanks to Pinkberry and OKGip OK <laughs> right and yeah. so how
1: important for both of you guys <clears throat> when you're writing treatments are visuals
2: oh yeah very important
1: yeah I I, I um don't use them actually I is only, that true yeah I only oh, that's great right?
0: yeah you know I, I'm uh, envious well uh, you know I think it kind of speaks to what you do versus what I do right like Mine's a lot of like jokes or like feelings. You know what I right. mean, <laughs> right? Um, You're and not I trying to tell it, people what the lighting's going to be like, right, too,
2: and right, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, right?
0: yeah. I, I get to that stuff eventually, but I, I, I don't. I think it's actually a self-conscious thing where I don't feel great about pulling visual references that
1: early. That's know? cool.
2: I got to do those more yeah, often.
1: See, I feel like I use it as a crutch. I'll find an image. That I like, I mean, my problem is, and a lot of the problem with this treatment I'm working on now is I haven't really quite found the right images and then that I just get problem. stuck, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. like, well, I could take some photographs and Photoshop some stuff or find some people and then they s- start looking for stuff on YouTube and then I start watching hours and hours of YouTube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And That's you tough. end up
0: in that rabbit hole where you're like, well, this is close to what I want, but not exactly. And yeah. they don't understand yeah. that it's not Like exactly. you have no
1: idea how hard it is to find a picture of a station wagon going down uh, a desert road with an explosion in the background. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're down Which to like that Photoshop photo like all three times. elements. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, But they need to be from the same angle yeah, and yeah. the same lighting and
2: yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's tough. I mean, I try. If I can't find images that represent like the scenes and the shots, I just kind of try to assemble images in a way that's signaling. Like, I like the inspiration here loosely. Mm-hmm. Don't. I'm not trying to represent
1: the shots. So you'll take multiple images and do that as opposed to, hey, taking one image and saying, here's an image.
2: But do you, I mean, it's so rare that you want to nail, you found the image that you want to do, for me at least. I yeah, mean.
1: I guess just in treatments, I'm always like afraid. I used to put like 10 images on a page and then Blake, who we all know, was like, check out these freaking amazing treatments. They have one image, one really good image per page. Mm-hmm. And then I've been trying to kind of push myself more in that direction but then i have then that one image becomes so important. Yeah, but it does look nicer. It does. Yeah.
0: I mean i wonder if maybe instead of looking for the literal image of like if it's a story about someone who drives a station wagon into the desert as it explodes maybe you split the difference and you get a great looking desert
1: shot. Yeah. And talk about the explosion in like right you know. I'm, so the picture i was looking for is uh, it's driving away after it's blown up a house mm-hmm. um but to me if i don't have the car and the people in there or at least it imply people then the desert means something so different than like mm-hmm. two people driving in a crappy station wagon through Definitely. the desert um, yeah but i would just be like okay
2: Thelma and louise breaking bad for lack of a better word you know i just kind yeah. of like pull for yeah. like i have a little, i, I have like the like Thelma a Louise.
1: pull yeah. in there but again, it's like on the cover image, I want one image. Yeah. I think I just put a grenade or something. <laughs> you uh, can do
2: it. Yeah, but I do hear you. That's, that's a tricky one. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just did, I mean, are we talking commercial treatments? I just did a commercial treatment and uh, it was something I was like, I really want to get this and I was mentioning it earlier. The, but basically, it's like 27 pages. Your and treatment is 27 pages? Yeah, for a commercial. How long? 30 seconds? It's 60 Okay. And, uh, okay, that makes sense. But they gave me the boards, the storyboards. Right. There are 15 panels.
0: Whoa, 15 panels for a 60 second spot?
2: That's uh, crazy. I know. Some one or two of the panels is like, that's like four panels in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I basically it was like, I want to get this project because I wanted to. It's it's a project that would take me to Singapore and it pays sure. okay. Yeah, it's okay. it's good money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you're, you're not a, like
0: super passionate about the sixty second product. From, like, no, it's
1: true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't. is it a product that you we have here in America? It's
0: Heineken. Oh, cool. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean it'd be cool. So
1: around. a beer spot's pretty cool to shoot. A beer
2: spot's cool in yeah. Singapore. Yeah. yeah, and so basically, I. I, you know, it's commercial treatment writing is actually new to me. Mm-hmm. And it's confusing because, unlike music videos where you're given virtually nothing to go off of, or your own concept where you're kind of coming out of, you know, your own inspiration, I was sent the boards, the mm-hmm. storyboards for the yeah. project. Right. And for me, the reaction initially is always like this kind of angsty confusion were about, like, drawn, well, what's my they, role here? Yeah, they they're like drawn. Photoshop? They were drawn with oh. descriptions below. So with camera angles chosen already, camera angles chosen already, sort oh, yeah, of.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically, even an edit like it could be an, an edit. edit. Yeah,
2: I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's the edit. I, yeah. I what am I going to make up an extra scene in your Heineken commercial? Like, yeah. so. But sometimes that is good to do. So, I basically decided I was going to take the approach of a page, a panel for at least part of it, and I'm going to just kind of. I heard Ridley Scott does this thing where he basically imagines before directing a movie, he imagines directing every scene before directing that scene. Mm. Like he'll spend, you know, a month before, he'll spend like a a day just kind of like, okay, it's time for me to shoot that close up now. And this will probably come up and I'll say that. And like he literally goes into it. So I decided I'm going to kind of do that on the page with these panels. And well, I got the project. I mean, they totally, they literally, I, to me, it almost felt like like I was I'm going to overkill this right. times six, and then you know casting and locations and all the other things you write about. It, but they told me you know once, yes your 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 treatments being sent to the client, and just to let you know, there's no other treatments being sent. They just yeah. said goodbye to the others because their your treatment was so good and they're so excited. Wait,
1: so but, so how much writing do you, like? Can you give us an example of what you would say about one panel?
2: Uh, it'd be like okay. Well, you know, so I didn't kind of restate, so it was like a wide shot of the four, as they call them, protagonists walking towards uh, the end of an alleyway where there's a a Heineken sign lighting up a door. And so I I just said, our first shot's got to be moving. We cut right into it. You know, Uh, we get a little sense of character, uh, and some shafts of light indicate kind of the the visual just so like some visual stuff mm-hmm. that's going to happen later so i'm like foreshadowing and and but the heineken side is front and center this will be a great shot on Cam,
0: moving and you know it's gonna look dope
2: and it's gonna look dope yeah <laughs> but that's so, kind of
0: a little bit of what you're saying though right yeah you're definitely he, selling rather, them a, about how dope their idea is he, here's the ways in which i will make something look dope oh yeah, absolutely don't so that
1: line. 15 yeah. times
2: yeah and uh you know i've spent two days writing the treatment and
1: and did you put visual references or just their panels?
2: I, yeah, I put a lot of visual references. And, you know, I, I literally a page on cinematography and lighting. I decided to go cinematography and lighting. And then a page on production design
1: and um, style or something. And do you talk about your crew in this? No. Do you get to choose your DP?
2: I will, yeah. I mean, but it'll be choices sent from Singapore. Oh, so I'm you can't bring a DP.
1: So, well, speaking of DPs, we talked about this a little bit. Off, off camera, off mic. Oh yeah. <laughs> so now you you got this commercial, and you're flying to Singapore, and they're sending you a few DPs. How do you choose which DP?
2: Good question. Because I did have this experience before where I, I've shot now in Prague and Warsaw, and every time, like, I d- I do think there are like a couple things that I find myself looking for, and and one is it's really about distinctions. Like, okay, have they done a job like this, and does it seem like they liked it and they invested themselves in it? And you know, is there magical realism in here and how did they handle that? Are they a a dark person lighting wise or a light person? And do they do the milky thing that everyone loves or do they do something you know heavy? So you're, you're doing all those distinctions and then, and this is all just based on their real, based on their real. I think there's like a thing you, you kind of, well, this has been, to be fair, this has all been for commercial stuff. So there's this kind of a, over engineered thing that happens in commercials where money is being spent on a level that's actually rivals or tops Hollywood films a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Or there's like, you know, an over overly focused element like a Heineken bottle or something where you can tell they put half their budget into how this was handled Mm -hmm. and the way the liquid's flowing around the bottle or something. So you kinda have to decide whether you're paying attention to that extra shit or not and if that's important to your project. But I do, but all that aside, I do look at stuff for music videos and commercials and even film stuff and try to sort of imagine how many lights were used mm-hmm. and and how they were used. And so as a way of thinking, getting an idea of how this DP thinks about what's important and how to light it. And, you know, in some cases, you really do have a sense that they, they're they kind of painting with light and they're thinking about it that way. They, they know that backlighting is always better than light on skin and and there's a reason why for them or they're a beauty person and they they never lose track of the fact that she or he has to look great but they also seem to be able to focus on the rest of it and make the shot look cinematic or something um and i don't know was,
0: are you ever interviewing these these gps or is it purely just based off their real
2: well i do i have found that every time i have happened to have chosen the person and then got on the phone with them and usually you're being sent people that are going to
0: be agreeable and excited to do your project. So it hasn't been like a, yeah, an interview process. Yeah. Cause I think it's funny when you say like, Oh, you're describing like, Oh, can they do this? Can they do that? I feel like if you ever asked them, they'd be like, well, I'd love to, but I haven't
1: been able to shoot it that way yet. You
2: know, Um, which is
1: true for directors. of course as well.
2: That's true. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No
1: DPs, composers, directors, they'll all say that they can do everything yeah i mean
2: i think maybe i find myself getting like a little bit more excited when i'm interacting with a dp who they kind of seem like they have like a principle or some principles that they they want to push into this project and maybe it's that they kind of believe in only using one light per scene Mm -hmm. and or the camera always stays on a tripod or we're going to use lenses from the 40s or you know sometimes that in music video land, you can just say, snap your fingers and say, yes, because why not? And But when it comes to yeah other stuff, you sort of want it to feel motivated as to why it's there. But I do find that those people are the most just personally invested. And you can see it in their work that it's, it goes beyond how many lights will I use? Or do I do this type of shot or that type of shot? Or do I have contacts for the lenses or whatever? It's this other thing extra level you know that's nice to kind of bring in Mm -hmm. yeah i actually get
1: like really excited when people i'm working with have theories or rules like that Mm, Sure. you know matt barber who we had on the podcast he's an editor also as well as a director and he's like a huge 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 fan of walter Murch's like six rules on why you make a cut Hmm. and he you know even though we all read his book about that like years and years ago he still like uses it every day um, awesome. and brings it up and like it's something that now i'm working on this show and i like bring it up to the editors you know if they're like oh we didn't use that take because the continuity is i'll be like continuity that's like <laughs> reason number six to make a cut i do i do hate when they bring up continuity number one <laughs> <That's>... is emotion <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um that's great so yeah when a dp yeah it's like i worked with the dps before when i did like more grip and electric stuff then they'd be like you always set a cider on this type of light mm-hmm. or something and it's mm-hmm. like it, it's cool, it's like they they care about yeah. stuff. I love having a specific philosophy for each project,
0: and not mm-hmm. that's not always possible, you know or called for, but uh, I think when you have a set of rules and an intentionality to a project, that's how you add style, really oh definitely, you know? it's
2: the best way so mm-hmm. that's all mm-hmm. I have to say about that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I find myself looking at d p s and i'm in a pinch, you know back against a wall, it's like do they know how to light and, or is it, are they really just good with natural light? And then everything else feels like they're on a stage and, or do you want that? You know, it's. And do you care about camera movement at all? Or do you just assume everyone can kind of do whatever you need in that regards? I might've said yes, that anybody can do anything, but now I really do see some people get into camera movement as, as a POV thing and they just do that well, or others are about something that looks like Stanley Kubrick made it, you know, that where they're about the sort of cinematic movement and you kind of have to make your choices based off that. I, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, those Jean Genot films, like Amelie and stuff like when they do these like very precise camera movements, I've worked with DPs where I I, like want to do those same things, right? Like those Wes Anderson shots. Right. And I'm like, yeah, let's just track from here to here. And they start and the camera's like slightly pan left. I'm like, why is it pan left? Like, well, because, you know, the sidewalk ended here, so we didn't have room for more track. And I'm like, well, it's just not the same shot, but we're out of time, so I guess this is what we're going to do. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. so it doesn't, and then, you know, the editor's like, yeah, we cut into this shot, which was this, like, beautiful one or tracking shot because it wasn't actually that beautiful because, you know, the DP didn't really want to go out of their way to do kind of exactly what i say and that sounds kind of horrible but that's like that style that you're talking about matt it's like well you know you kind of ruin the shot so yeah. i think camera movement and then and then there's of course handheld camera movement where i have worked with dps that are also operators that just don't frame things the way i i would frame them mm-hmm. and then i've worked with dps that like are really really good at handheld and find frames and in you know, m- movement in, a, in an interesting way. Though I don't think that's nearly as hard to find as someone that really makes, lights things in a way that's interesting. Yeah. I think sometimes, uh, you know, picking a, a DP in particular,
0: but a production designer and even like what producers or editors you're working with, it's all to me about what the project calls for that I'm not good at. Yeah, right. You know, so it's like some sometimes... I know that like this edit is going to be kind of all over the place. It's documentary style. We're going to find the story thread. No problem. Like, let's just find a guy who's like reality oriented. Mm -hmm. Whereas sometimes I know that like, I'm not going to stick to my guns and use that one or unless someone's there to like back me up on it, you know? Uh, And DP certainly like filling in the blanks of like camera movements, a a weak spot for me sometimes, you know, especially if it's not handheld, like you know i don't get to shoot with a dolly as much as i'd like sometimes you mm-hmm. know stuff like that you know i'm always trying to think about
2: yeah i mean it's a funny thing like a really good dp can can make a piece of work that makes you not think about the cinematography at all and that is that's a strange thing but it's true that you know some of the best work is work that makes you you're not does not make you aware that you're watching a film and mm-hmm. yeah so as a director there's probably an art to choosing people who don't make you
0: Notice I feel like them. you have to think every <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah.
2: think of everything that they're doing. That's I,
0: amazing. I remember one time on Shitty Boyfriends actually I was shooting with a DP who I basically grew up with. Like we went to college together, like we shot a million things together. And um there was a thing where we were shooting handheld. It was the only handheld scene of the whole series. And um we were bouncing back and forth. It was like late at night, everyone was just totally tired. And he was at monitor, and I was in the room because it was a super em- emotional scene, and other people were operating, which was pretty rare. And we a call cut, and then I run over and make an adjustment real quick to one of the operators, and he shouts to me, "Hey, did you make that change?" And I said, "Yep," and then called action, and uh, we were totally in sync. That was exactly Amazing. what we were both talking about, and it
1: killed at direct at the Video Village, mm-hmm. like. The producers and the change like, was to not make sure the boom mic doesn't come into the, the frame. <laughs> it was right? a focus adjustment.
0: something a little bit better than that. But <laughs> yeah, but you know, the, like that sort of uh, relationship is a I think I, I think filmmakers are always looking for when they're collaborating with people. Oh yeah, Tim, do you have like people that you kind of have built that sort of relationship with? Oh,
2: for sure. Yeah, I mean, basically because I'm doing a lot of music videos, I do find that. Usually they're, you're awarded the, the project like sort of last minute. Mm-hmm. So, And it's not like the biggest, sometimes they're not that big. So there's this kind of short-term, short-stakes right. thing. That so you're that turning that I,
0: over relatively quickly, too. So turning you, you, you're over quickly. meeting more people.
2: Yeah, I mean, basically, with short notice, people aren't available. So mm-hmm. I've wound up kind of having three mm-hmm. DPs that I kind of cycle through. But consistently lately, and the same is true with almost the entire crew. I mean I use the same colorist. I use a couple of different production designers, a couple of different stylists, yeah, and uh, editors. it's kind of all over the place, but sometimes I edit. but uh yeah, it's weird. I I, I know some people who have just worked with the same DP for the last you know 20 things they've done and mm-hmm. I'm envious of that. I just you know haven't been able to do that.
0: Do you ever get nervous that like maybe it's them, not you? Like the the Tim Nakashi magic is like actually just the the culmination of the crew. No, I'm not nervous of that fact. I'm sure of that fact. (laughs) Uh, No, really. I mean,
2: I think I get to kind of you know set a a cool tone, Mm -hmm. and usually get to sort of throw a couple of wild cards in there. But yeah, at a certain point, it's hopefully everyone feels inspired to like kind of show up and do this thing. And the job of the director becomes inspiring mm-hmm. uh, people not touching anything. Hopefully. Yeah. Just, just hearts, just hearts. Just hearts.
1: <laughs> um, so just to, just to finish up our conversation, uh, you know, last time you were here, I mean, you're still doing a lot of commercials and music videos. you have done a little bit of web stuff too. And you just, you just did some stuff with lonely Island, right? Yeah, it did. How was that project? Was that crazy? It was funny. I mean, basically, it was
2: making a a piece that was about how they were featured on GQ magazine on the cover, So, but turning it into something more, more than what it was, which is sort of a glorified behind-the-scenes piece. And uh, it was fun to work with everybody, but it was set up poorly. I mean, basically by no one's fault but perhaps their really defensive manager who it's her job to be defensive I liked her it's, it's nothing against her but basically they uh they didn't really want to spend a lot of time being interviewed and that was sort of the assignment so I never interviewed them oh you didn't I, I didn't the whole day I'm just sort of giving ideas for shots and kind of hanging out and so um, you never did a video
1: like any interaction with them?
2: <laughs> not really. I, I mean I kind of like got them to say a few things one time. It was definitely not an interview. And I they they kept on telling me, we're gonna put your interview here, we're gonna do it there, we're going okay, can you guys sit up over here? I we set up three different times and they were like, not here. Can you do you mind moving? I'm so <laughs> sorry. And then I'm like, Yeah, just to let you know. This is going in a way that makes me think we 're not going to get the interview uh and to remind you i i 'm not showing up here for my own personal interests, like <laughs> you guys hired me to be here, so let's get that interview when you want to do it like i and then did you uh, say that yeah, and then I said even later, I said it with a smile on my face, sure, because everybody knows we 're all just here, kind of whatever yeah. it's just a dumb thing, but it's also really exciting, and you know at the same time. Sort of a simultaneous, like you know, excitement tinged with complete lack of interest. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so it never happened. But they, we made a cool piece because it, we just kind of created a fake narrative on top of it with a fake uh, like voice that <laughs> tells the story, and it it's turned out pretty funny actually. Oh, that's um, cool. maybe in in a way
0: better because we don't have talking heads. Yeah, sure. You kind of you're forced to be more. You're forced to be more creative than you would have been. Yeah, if you just have like Andy serenberg make a couple jokes, about
2: exactly, and we're production. not locked into oh, he only said this joke and that joke. We got, I guess, yeah. we got to
1: use the other one. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for talking with us. Um, cool. I don't know if you remember from last time, but we do these unpaid endorsements.
0: Unpaid endorsements.
1: All right. So for my unpaid endorsement, guys, do you guys ever read
0: the uh, McSweeney's Internet Tendency? No. So, like, so McSweeney's is, like, that uh, Bay Area, like, publishing conglomerate, right? hmm Artsy-fartsy. So, Dave Eggers started this company, blah, blah, blah. So, their blog of, like, funny humor writing is pretty great overall, um, but there's a recurring column called Listicles for People Exactly Like yeah. You, and it's by this writer whose name is Rufy Thorpe she's a novelist. She's really great. Um, but so the column listicles for people exactly like you, they're titled things like 10 signs. Your name is James and you were teaching English at a fancy boarding school. Right. And then Amazing. it's, and it's, or, or, uh, eight signs, Mark Strom from math class Is way into you. Nine problems only Dave, the programmer understands. But so like, that's a really super funny conceit. And, but then on top of that, uh, each of those nine signs or 10 things or whatever she's enumerated is a little tiny vignette of this very specific person's life. And so it kind of evolves into this thing, you know, they're, they're they're short, but it's a little, uh, kind of like bittersweet character piece in each of these things. And I think that they're, uh, really touching and they're fast, really well thought great little pieces. So, I totally recommend Listicles for People Exactly Like You by Rufy Thorpe on uh, the McSweeney's Internet Tendency. Sounds great. Cool. I'll definitely check it out.
1: I will check it out also. So, uh, you can tell how much I'm stretching with my endorsements because every week it's like, what did I just think of right now? But <laughs> uh,
0: um, hanging out with your baby is really great. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to give like
1: a quick guide to hacking Wi Fi connections. <laughs> oh, that's pretty <laughs> good. Uh, I was at a my local coffee shop, and the Wi-Fi wasn't working. And if you're at a place and the Wi-Fi is kind of spotty or going in and out or you keep getting bumped off or you manage to connect, but then when you try to go to a web page, it says, like, Internet not available. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is what I always try. It'll only work, like, 5% of the time. But if you're at a place where it's not secure, like a small coffee shop, it'll almost definitely work. You try to connect to any Wi-Fi you can connect to. And then in your browser, you type in 192-192 dot one six eight dot zero dot one that's always the address for the local router Mm -hmm. Hmm. and then most routers by default the username is admin and the password is all lowercase password admin is also all lowercase and once you're in you can see what all the settings are for the local area networks like all the you know a lot of times people have guest networks or five gigahertz networks you can see what all the passwords are And if you feel like you're stuck and you're at this, what happened to me is I went to this coffee shop, I was like, I'm gonna write for three hours. And of course the internet wasn't working. I couldn't like find any images. So I just did that and I got in and I was like, should I go tell the owner of this place that his base station isn't secure? And then I decided not to because if I go back, uh, (laughs) there's this thing, like a lot of coffee shops, they'll buy like these, you know, kind of cheap Wi-Fi base stations. And a lot of them have a limit of how many people can be connected at once, like Uh. 10. If there's 15 people trying to use it, like whoever's like connection lost signal gets bumped off and the next person gets bumped on. So you can can mess with those parameters. So uh, we'll put it on our blog. But 192.168.0.1. You're a real life Mr. Robot. It's Lauren. A, a much more That's advanced what that shows version about it. for yeah. how to hack into, <laughs> I love into the airplane <laughs> Wi-Fi, which is also not that hard. Uh, depending on your airline but we'll talk about that next time that's that is easily my favorite of your endorsements that's incredible <laughs> it is a good one
0: hacking
2: I uh, I guess I was just gonna mention this book I've been reading that is called what we know so far by Robert Scodelero which is basically page and half page long stories it's called micro fiction micro fiction and micro stories so it's pretty much like a portrait of somebody but I've just really enjoyed them because when I try to read at night when I get in bed usually my eyes are closed after like two pages unfortunately so that's one issue the other is that you know reading a an interesting 300 page book kind of takes me a year lately because I'm (laughs) more about output than input unfortunately but so I've just really been liking this book because they feel like character portraits that are refreshing for my brain and mm-hmm. there's usually some cool little reveal sort of built into it and nothing ever happens. It's just microfiction apparently is just character portraits but I really love them. So anyway, I'd recommend this book, What We Know So Far. Cool. That sounds, sounds really cool. Actually. Yeah, it sounds
1: great. Cool, yeah. Are you reading a printed copy or a like printed A printed copy. Paper. Nice. I'll check you it out. Know, Killing Trees. So, Tim, where can we see your work, your new videos, your well, upcoming commercial?
2: I just uh, made a short documentary that was actually featured on the, the front page of The Guardian. Oh, cool. And uh, it's called Through the Wall. And it's a five-minute piece that uh, I shot two cameras on either side of the border wall. And it's a family that meets there. It's the only way they can see each other. because The one, U.S.-Mexico uh, border? Mm-hmm. And anyway, that's a recent thing I was excited about.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, and that's at com. We can
0: find it it is. about that.
2: Yes. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Well, if you don't want to go to com, you can always go to justshootitpod.com and we'll post the video there as well. Yeah, you're talking. But then you should go check out Tim's uh, site and Reel because it's all really incredible. If you want to check out more about the show, though, you can follow us at justshootitpod on Twitter. Or me, at Mr. Matt Enloe. And I am at Smitey Pieleg. And also, drop us a line at the voicemail. We haven't had a voicemail in a while. I mm-hmm. love voicemails. 2626 shoot one. Operators are standing by. We will play your voicemail on the air. Do us a favor, rate us on iTunes. That's how we keep the show going. And tell a friend about it, too, while you're at it, huh, guys. The episode was edited by Eric Kripo. Music was by Steve Combs. <laughs> thanks for having
2: me. This was really fun. Hey, hey Aaron, thanks, thanks, Tim. Tim.
0: Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, the podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt. Shoot, I, I know my own name. I swear. <clears throat> I think it's a podcast. Yep the the only podcast about people talking. <clears throat> hey, welcome to Just Shoot It. The, hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking. <laughs> God, I had it first. All right. Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It. a f- Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt
2: Enloe.